on this episode of Let's Bond Insurance. How managing risks and protecting assets in First Nation communities could look a lot different in the near future. I'm Richard Perry. Welcome. And I'm joined by Jody Anderson, Director of Business Development for the First Nations Finance Authority, and Anne-Marie Garvey, National Practice Leader, Indigenous Services with BFL Canada. Can First Nations collectively own and manage their own insurance and risk management program? We're about to find out. And joining me now from Toronto are Jody Anderson and Anne-Marie Garby. Finally, we're together. Great to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for having us, Richard. It's it's great to finally connect. Yes, thank you so much, Richard. You guys are working on a an incredibly exciting project. It looks like it's a novel approach to providing insurance for Indigenous communities. How about a bit of backstory here? How did this all come about? Yeah, that's a, a great start, actually. I think... Um, first and foremost with FNFA and our approach to financing um, and acknowledging that there is a significant infrastructure gap uh, that's probably around $50 billion. Um, It begs the question that there's at least $50 billion in infrastructure that needs to be insured. And the current model that's currently provided to communities is really a Um, a siloed approach where individual communities will approach brokers or insurers for various types of insurance. What we're trying to do is, um, in addition to closing this infrastructure gap, is taking the same principles that we learned in the financing world and the financing industry and applying them to insurance so that our communities have Uh, different options. They can pool uh, and come together um, to leverage their buying power and have more autonomy. Uh, We need better and more sustainable options for our communities. The rate at which insurance is climbing is really unsustainable. Um, And we just, we have learned that when communities have different options, they prosper and it's always beneficial. Mm. Anne-Marie, do you want to jump in there? I think she covered it all here, Richard. Um, One thing I can add is, and and what I I loved about this project coming aboard, is that this is very disruptive. This is something that uh, has been done in Canada and like Jody has mentioned, right now it's a very transactional, it's a very siloed approach on how they purchase their insurance. So it's it's bringing our communities together and and having ownership, like true ownership, Richard. Some listeners might be wondering, what, what kind of insurance are we talking about? You know, you got property, life, commercial, what does this focus on? So this is property and casualty for our communities. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's a good question. And one that I forget that people can't read my minds. <laughs> On this learning curve of insurance. Um, When we're looking at um, property or asset insurance, uh, that's specific to First Station governments at this point. Um, We're taking a real scalable approach uh, in terms of ensuring that we grow as the demand grows and not just jumping in with two feet and not having the capacity to build Uh, We want to make sure that we're doing this right. As Anne-Marie said, this is the first uh, being done in Canada for this particular model and one that advocates on behalf of our our nations. And so we want to make sure that things are done uh, correctly with the correct partners um, and 
has the ability to move our communities forward, not backwards. So did the idea come from communities themselves, or is this something that FNFA and BFL Canada thought, you know what, this might, this just might fly? There has been a lot of discussion right across Canada in terms of um, lack of options in the insurance space for quite some time. And um, one, uh, the ability to even have asset insured or assets insured, um, and then when they do get insured, uh, we're paying astronomical prices um, simply because that the um, the underwriting services or the ratings that communities are provided are are really high and we need to find a way to bring those uh, ratings down and we want to very similar to what we've done at FNFA is level the playing field so that our communities have an equitable opportunity to access services uh, just like any other um, community would right across Canada. And a lot of assumptions are made there, Richard, when it comes to our communities. And one of the discussions that we had with one of our risk engineers is the FUS rating, and that's uh, the Fire Underwriting Survey rating. For example, we had our risk engineer, and he was uh, looking at a mill, and uh, right next to it was the First Nation. The survey does not take into account uh, the the First Nation lands, and so there's no rating. And so from that, our, our First Nations are being exposed to higher rates uh, than, than what is right parallel to the First Nation lands. So education and the assumptions that are made, it needs to be, it needs to be clarified, it needs to be changed. For the sake of clarification, can we come up with, a, say, a fictional community, a fictional First Nation, maybe with the typical type of infrastructure assets in the community, What's the status quo? You know, what kind of money might they be paying for insurance now? And can you forecast what it might be down the road if this model takes off? Sure. I'm glad that you asked that question because a lot of this decision to move forward on this project, um, as we touched on earlier, was really about what we're hearing from the First Nations in terms of challenges that they are running into. And we had a discussion with one of the First Nations um, at the AFN Assembly this summer, and the chief was telling us that the insurance premium that they paid last year was close to $100,000. The insurance premium that was given to them at renewal time was uh, $700,000. So there's a jump there. Um, that's quite significant. And I know that not all First Nations um, have the available cash flow to continue to pay premiums like this if they continue to increase. It's not sustainable. And I know learning from my friend Anne-Marie here, um, her community had to go to a referendum to withdraw money from their trust just to be able to afford insurance. And that's not okay. Uh, that's money set aside for future generations. Um, and our, our community shouldn't be forced to have to pay um, or make the decision to either pay for insurance or not be insured. Or do we feed, uh, you know, do we run the breakfast program at the school versus pay for insurance? And this is really where. Um, change needs to happen because it's just not sustainable. And there are a bunch of different factors that are uh, impacting what's happening in the insurance world. We know climate change is certainly one of them. Um, And so we need to think differently. And 
uh, we believe that when things are Indigenous-led and we listen to the guidance from our communities, from our elders, um, we can truly make a difference. And it certainly has been the fact with the First Nations Finance Authority. Many chiefs have told me over the years that we're taking the long view here. We're thinking ahead seven generations and that we have some shared beliefs Shared responsibility is also important. So this different worldview is something that would be supported by this model, right? Yes, absolutely. And uh, we often say that, um, and this is your comment of taking the Western views um, and trying to implement a more holistic approach in terms of how we do business. Um, learning the culture, learning what's important to uh, our communities, uh, because it's not a one-size-fits-all solution. There has to be options right across the board. Um, you know, the priorities in a community in the East is very different than a remote community in Northern Ontario or a community in Western Canada. So we have to ensure that um, the what is being offered to communities is aligning with their community values, their culture, and what's important to them as well. Mm. 100%, Jody, And I, this is something that uh, resonated with me in my undergrad. One of my profs said, we're not naive enough to think that we're going to go over to Japan and do business, not understanding their culture. So why do we do it here in Canada? It's interesting. Yeah. Uh, here we are in this era of reconciliation. And you would almost think that major insurance companies would be bending over backward to develop tighter relationships with First Nation communities, and that might even include insurance. Yeah, absolutely. And as a matter of fact, that's one of the reasons why we're here in <laughs> Toronto this week, Richard, is we're meeting with a number of different um, companies who have put up their hand to say, how do we get involved? Um, what can we do differently uh, on our part? And that's a really important question to ask because Reconciliation and reconciliation needs to happen um, from very, very many different uh, approaches. And um, everyone in corporate Canada, whether you're Indigenous or non, and it's okay for um, corporations to put up their hand and say, where do I start? Or what is my role in this? And not be afraid to ask that question. And, um, you know, there's a lot of uncomfortable truths uh, mm -hmm. that are... Uh, that are part of our journey as Canadians, as Indigenous people. Um, but as I learned today, um, or I heard from my my friend here, is she said, it's okay and we have to learn to be uncomfortable in order to get to the point of being comfortable again. Um, and that means different things to many different people. But um, starting with the discussion and wanting to learn more, it's a learning journey for everybody. Mm. And Marie, what's happening right now in terms of gathering information and some background to see if this will work? Sure, Richard. Uh, that was a really our starting point. So before we are able to move forward on what the most efficient uh, and correct model would be, is that we have a lot of uh, information to gather from the communities. So when we kind of, uh, you know, dipped our toe into the water and said, uh, who would be interested in participating in this feasibility study? We had a number of communities come forward, uh, more than we expected, in fact, to say, um, you know, we would like to be a part of this or we would like to see what other options are out there. The challenge has been uh, that 
You cannot make an informed decision unless you have the hard data to look at. Collecting the data from the communities can be challenging uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, One, the band offices themselves may not have that information readily available at their fingertips. And so one of the ways to collect this data or to get get this data is to call their insurers or their uh, brokers to ask for uh, loss history data or a copy of their policy and things like this. What we're running into are um, a few roadblocks where that information is not readily flowing back to the communities at their request. And so it's part of the education process telling the communities that this is your data. You have rights to look at this data and to request this data and to get this data within a certain period of time um, rather than... um, trying to be talked out of it my my analogy really is this have you ever tried to cancel your (laughs) cell phone subscription or your cable uh, internet so as soon as you say you want to cancel and that's not what the communities are saying by the way um they don't just say okay sorry thank you for your business you get passed along to you know 10 different people <laughs> in that process in in the in the retention process and so part of this is what's happening that the business uh, retention uh, is important and so we have had to go back and say to the communities um you know request via bcr access to this information or send a letter you have every right to ask for this information and not have it take you know five six months to get this data mm-hmm. back bcr so, bcr standing for band council resolution yes right? band council resolution not- by chief and council yes thank you okay. and so now um the renewal time is coming up and so often um what we have heard from communities and one of their biggest challenges is that come renewal time Um, the renewed policy or the draft policy is sent to them only days or a week or a few weeks before, not leaving the community quite enough time to review, discuss, make an informed decision. So they're having to make, um, you know, quick decisions may not be the best uh, for them at that point. So uh, we're really trying to work around that. Um, that's kind of um, where we are today. We have a number of communities that have provided all of their data. We have a number of communities who are in the process of gathering their data. Um, And once we have um, an appropriate sample size, then we are able to make an informed decision. We feel that, um, you know, more is obviously more beneficial because we are really truly wanting this to be Indigenous-led. So we want to ensure that all the communities that put up their hand have the ability to participate in this study. Is this where non-disclosure agreements come in to give communities some comfort that you're going to manage their data properly and carefully? Absolutely. And we had to be upfront about this uh, right from the very beginning Um, it's very important to communities that their data is protected. And so uh, we have um, assured the communities that this information is only being used for the purpose of this feasibility study and to uh, collect data to make an informed decision. Uh, The outcome of the feasibility study will be shared with the communities. 
and um, if they want to, if they decide to participate going forward, any consent comes directly from the communities itself, not from FNFA. Now, when all is said and done, is is BFL Canada going to recommend that insurance company X is who you're recommending to handle everybody across Canada, or could there be several insurance companies involved? There are going to be several insurance companies involved, Richard, and part of that and, and going on this journey and this partnership with the FNFA is that our partner in, in the insurance company shares our, the same shared values that we do. And, and this is where when I, I, we, through our discussions, is quantifying this. You know, what is, when it comes to your, your truth and reconciliation calls to action, you know, specifically number 92, what are, what are you doing as corporate Canada? When it comes to your ESG, what are you doing? And that's very important to, to BFL and to the FNFA. I think one of the um, you know important lessons that we've learned along the way on the financing side of things is you don't put your eggs in one all your eggs in one basket, and that holds true uh, for the insurance side as well. Uh, going back to my earlier comment is when we have options and we can create competition on behalf of the communities, it's the communities that come out on top. So this is really. Um, you know, a collaborative approach, but uh, one that will provide different scenarios for the communities to give them more ownership, autonomy, and leverage. Is anybody else in North America trying something like this? Yes, there's actually a very successful model down in the States, and they're called Amaranth. And uh, their mission is Tribes Protecting Tribes. And they went through the same thing that our communities are going through here in Canada. And they said, okay, well, we can do this better. We can do it, you know, from our approach. And they have, and it is very successful. And and I see that happening here within the next few years with our communities across Canada. Wow. This is so cool. I mean, there's so much happening right now with all the Fiscal Management Act organizations, you know, when it comes to land code and financial certification, what you're doing with your almost, what, $2 billion? Am I right? In, in loans yeah, we're so far? creeping in to close $2 billion. This, this is like the next step. And I'm just starting to wonder, are you guys thinking what might even be on this? Like, are there other areas beyond insurance where collectively First Nations can improve? Well, the world's our oyster, Richard, and I think that um, we're seeing so much movement and progression, um, not only in, in Canada, but right around the world globally. And so there is a big movement for Indigenous people um, to have options, have things Indigenous-led, seen through the lens um, that will benefit our nations um, you know, we, we need to think more positively in terms of the contribution that this can bring to our beautiful country. And while we have an infrastructure gap that exists and we have, we have knowledge or we know that the federal government has mandated its ministers to close that infrastructure gap by 2030 um, to 2040, you know, 2030 is a very aggressive goal. But there's a lot that needs to happen and things are moving so quickly now and we've seen successful models like the FNFA, like FM, 
FMB or FNTC or lands management and how those sectoral governance pieces can help progress our nations. Um, I think that lends itself to seeing really successful transactions like the Clearwater deal uh, on the East Coast with the Mi'kmaq when we look at coming together as nations Mm -hmm. and how can we pool and use our combined purchasing power to better our communities. We're seeing a lot of that and it's only going to uh, continue to increase from here on in. So is there other opportunities down the road? You bet. Um, Do we know what all of those are now? (laughs) We have some, you know, things that we're working on. That's for another podcast. But uh, I, I think that, you know, there's endless opportunities. Yeah, great stuff. Anne-Marie, just as we wind down, anything else you want to add that maybe I haven't raised yet or that you'd like to wrap this up with? You know what, I just, uh, we were talking about that on our walk uh, over here today, Richard, is is the powerhouse of, of our communities. And I said, you know, every time I turned on, I, I look at LinkedIn and my feed, it's success story after success story after success story. And these are our communities coming together. And, you know, they are pooling their capital. They are pooling their resources on, on every which level. And here we are, we are, we're owners now it's just not just joint ventures we are owners mm. and this is very exciting it's a very exciting space to be in speaking of linkedin did you accept my linkedin request connection i'm i'm still i'm still <laughs> thinking about it here richard <laughs> i won't hold it against you jody accepted right away by the way okay how about uh, i'm sure there will be some people listening who want to find out more about this and i know you've got some tremendous information on your websites but if they want to reach out to either of you do you have a, a preferred method of contact um, they can contact us at the FNFA. Like you said, Richard, there is a uh, web page that's solely dedicated towards this project with contact information on it. Alternatively, Anne-Marie Garby is the lead contact on the BFL side, and perhaps we can put that in one of our notes um, to the podcast, but we're, we're more than happy to do that. I'm also, well, my contact information is on the BFL website under Indigenous Services, so you can reach me there as well. Okay, we will include uh, all that info in the show notes. Good idea, Jody. Thank you very much, guys. Fascinating discussion. And maybe at some point we'll be back for a a phase two or part B. (laughs) Thanks for having us, Richard. Thanks for the great questions. Really, really enjoyed this. No, super job. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. To learn more about this insurance project, visit fnfa.ca. You'll see the news release and much more detail in the FAQ. We will undoubtedly have more to tell you about this on the podcast once a final decision is made. I'm Richard Perry. Thanks for listening to Let's Bond, a production of the First Nations Finance Authority.